the Nikabi Diary Season 1 ebook with clickable links for each episode is available now, complete with 52 illustrations and inspirational quotes from each podcast guest. Click on the link in the description to get yours. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to Season 2 of the Nakabi Diaries podcast, a platform dedicated to sharing the stories of the women behind the veil. This season, we will be speaking to more Muslim women from all walks of life as we continue to discuss their deep and intimate reasons for wearing the niqab. The Nakabi Diaries, our experiences, our perspectives, our voices. I'm your host, Samar, and thank you for listening. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Yeah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, sister. How are you? Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, I'm great. How about yourself? Alhamdulillah, very well. Jazakallah khair. Um, sister, could you um, please introduce yourself for us, um, the listeners of the Naqabi Diaries, and tell us a little bit about what you do, inshallah. Yep. Um, so my name is Lona. I am 28 years old. I'm um, Chicana, which kind of means Mexican-American. I live in California, the United States. I have also lived back and forth between Mexico and the U.S. through most of my life. Um, and I've been Muslim since I was 15 years old. I reverted when I was 15, alhamdulillah. And I've been wearing the full niqab since I was 17. Mm-hmm. And I am currently a tax accountant. Sorry, yeah. Currently a tax accountant. And um, I've worked several other jobs since I've been a niqabi since I was 17 years old. I've actually worn niqab my entire adult life. And I have worn it both across here and in Mexico and worked also here and in Mexico wearing the full niqab. Yeah. MashaAllah, subhanAllah. Wow. So did you say you was a tax attorney? Uh, no, a tax accountant, not tax an attorney. Accountant. Yeah. Okay, tax accountant. MashaAllah, MashaAllah. Okay, well, um, sister, could you give us some insight into how you came to Islam? Give us a little, like, maybe a quick story. And um, how do you come to actually wear the niqab itself? So I've, like I said, I've been Muslim since I was 15. And when I was 15, I was going to a Catholic school at the time. Mm-hmm. So most most Mexicans are Catholic. And my family was also Mexican Catholic. And um I've been in Catholic schools my whole life. I actually just graduated from a Catholic university too in May. Um, So, I mean, Catholic grade school, middle school, high school, college, everything. But um, so growing up in such a religious environment, religion was always part of the discourse. And uh, we had, of course, religion class when we were, when we were little, we would go to church at least once a month. And um, I was always the most religious one in my family, thought I wanted to be a nun when I was little. (laughs) But uh, a few things just weren't making sense to me about, you know, Christianity and Catholicism specifically, but Christianity in general. Um, Mainly, I just didn't agree with the Trinity and the divinity of of Jesus, uh, original sin, and like the hierarchy of the church. Kind of those things just really didn't make sense to me. They didn't sit well with me. But at that time, I didn't really know anything about Islam at all because I was Mm -hmm. raised in a really small little town in Northern California that's very conservative. And it was mostly just white Christian people and then a few Mexicans. But even the Mexicans were Christian too. So, I mean, we didn't have you know, any type of religious diversity up there. And so I didn't know anything about Muslims. And um, I knew what I believed. I knew that I believed in one God. And I believed that Jesus, uh, was a prophet, but that he was not God or the son of God. And I knew that I didn't agree with the Trinity, but I didn't know what anything was called. 
So then um, I got to high school a few years after that, and we did have to take a world religions course. And when we took the world religions course, I realized that, um, you know, we went over the basics of Islam and I was like, wow, that looks familiar. That looks like what I believe. So that was 13 years old at the time. I just went to the bookstore. I went to Barnes and Noble, (laughs) bought myself uh, an English translation of the Quran and I read it and I found out I was Muslim. And I've been Muslim ever since. (laughs) Mashallah, subhanAllah, amazing, amazing. Um, great. Uh, so how did you actually transition into wearing the niqab and what was that like? Did you start wearing the hijab first or like how, how did it come about? Yeah, so I actually, it's kind of a funny story because I, so I took my shahada probably like just two or three weeks before I turned 16. Mm-hmm. And um, even though I knew I was Muslim for probably, you know, a year or so before that, but I was kind of in the process of you know, finding out um, how I was going to do that in the area that I was living in and with my family and everything. And that's a long story. I'll make a separate YouTube video on that. Inshallah, you can link it in this video if anybody wants to hear that full story. But but basically, I uh, became Muslim and I started wearing hijab like two weeks after that, kind of. So like right before I turned 16, I started wearing hijab, but it wasn't really, you know, hijab is a process. You know, I think we can all agree that most of us start at one point and end up, you know, much um, at a much different point, much further down the road, Um, which, you know, alhamdulillah, we learn, um, we become more confident in ourselves and we learn more about, you know, Islam. And so our opinions change and that all of that can change. So when I started off wearing hijab, definitely now looking back on it, I wouldn't say it was correct hijab, but I was trying. I didn't really know anything else. I basically was just like cutting up stockings to use them as arm covers to cover my arms oh, wow. and still wearing jeans, but I didn't have any skirts. And, you know, I'd never seen a Muslim before other than, you know, in on the internet and pictures mm. and stuff. And I was still kind of the only thing that people really knew about Islam in that town was just like Osama bin Laden and 9-11 and everything was very very you know associated with just Arabs in the Middle East and I it was not really you know an area where I was just going to be like bam full jilbab and at the time of course I was still getting over my own internal biases to still still realizing you know that I was coming to Islam and still kind of yeah coming into the world of Islam at that time so I remember back at the time I saw like pictures of like the French two-piece jilbab online and I thought to myself my god that looks like a tent like why would anybody ever wear that like I would never wear that and it's like that's that's so encompassing and and then I saw pictures of women in the niqab and I was like well you know I didn't read that in the Quran and you know this doesn't look familiar and I specifically remember when I became Muslim my father um he asked me he was like so that's those women who cover everything but just the eyes, right? You're not going to do that, right? And I was like, oh, of course not, dad. Don't worry about it. That's totally cultural. Like, I'm never going to, I was like, I'm, n- I'm never going to do that. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I told them to not worry about it and that I wasn't going to do that. And I was just going to wear, you know, hijab. But as time went by, like as the months went by after I had started wearing hijab, of course, I I was really uncomfortable, like in my clothing, always trying to hijabify Western clothing, because all I had before was jeans and shirts. And I was always trying to cover my arms and trying to make things longer and trying to get skirts. And I didn't exactly have the money to go out and buy a new wardrobe. Mm. And even though I knew what was, you know, more correct to be wearing, I didn't have access or money to those kind of clothes. Um, So it was kind of a slow process, but I did from that point on kind of say, okay, I'm only buying skirts from here on out. Like I'm going to try to phase out, you know, wearing tight pants and stuff. And um, that kind of took me like a year and a half. And then 
I ended up going to Japan because I had, I did a year of high school in Japan as an exchange mm-hmm. student. Okay. Um, and when I was in Japan, I was wearing hijab. So I you know, was wearing uh, the head covering. I was, you know, hijabifying my like Japanese high school uniform, <laughs> trying to make the skirt longer. And just in general, I was still struggling with hijab and I wasn't really finding um, like the good kind of, you know, place where I wanted to be with hijab. And then um, flu season came. And <laughs> this is kind of funny because we're in the middle of, of coronavirus right now. And, you know, this has kind of come to the United States as well. But as you know, Asian countries have always worn face masks for flu yeah. season. Um, and so me wearing niqab actually started off wearing a face mask in Japan for flu season. Wow. And my host family was like, yeah, I, I got sick. I had a cold. And they were like, well, you need to cover your face. And I was like, I'm, I can't do that. People are going to think I'm a terrorist. Like, people, I'm going to look <laughs> weird. Like, I, I can't do that. And they were like, no, this is Japanese culture. You absolutely need to be covering your face with your sick. And I'm like, oh, gosh, OK. But I was so nervous because up until that point, all the all the I don't know, I guess uh negativity that I had seen towards the niqab in the western world and you know all the time on the news you'd see people with the burqa ban and people against the niqab and everything and because this is around that time this was uh, 2009 2010 when the burqa ban was you know becoming a thing in France I think it was around that time and um, so I remember seeing just all this negativity and hate towards the niqab and I really honestly felt like, you know, oh, the niqab is problematic. Like it causes these divisions in society. Like look at all this crazy stuff going on in society because of the way that these women are dressing. And then when I had to cover my face and it was imposed on me Mm. and part of the culture there. And at first I was so nervous. I remember the next day going to school with nothing showing but my eyes and thinking, oh my God, everyone's going to stare at me or I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to cause problems. And nobody reacted negatively at all. And literally half my class had their face covered too. Yeah. And then, and I remember the only person that I got a negative reaction from was the other exchange student in my class who was from Slovakia. Okay. And when she saw me, she literally busted up laughing and she was like, are you seriously wearing that? You look like a terrorist. And then I, I was like, you know, I didn't change my, I just kind of stared at her and she was like, wait, are you seriously wearing that? And I was like, my family said I had to just leave me alone. Like it's, I wouldn't wear it if I, you know, had a choice, but they, I have a cold and they said that I have to, and mm-hmm. that's just that. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, it's fine. Forget about it. But she was the only person that I got a negative reaction from. And literally everybody else treated me just like normal. And I was really, really shocked. And throughout the course of, you know, the next coming months, realizing that everybody, the whole country was just covering their face for months on end. All of these problems that I thought originated from wearing the niqab, I actually didn't see any of those problems manifesting in Japanese society. Mm. I was like, wow, everybody's covering their face. The whole world hasn't gone crazy. There's no security issue. Everybody still recognizes each other. It doesn't change relations at all. And it's actually it's considered better to do. I would see advertisements in, in like on the street in Tokyo of like people wearing the traditional kimono and then wearing the face mask and saying like, this is the culture, like, you know, wear a face mask and all, all sorts of things like that, that just completely changed my mind and made me realize face covering itself is not an issue. It's just the cultural biases that people have and the way that they react to it. It's their own internal biases that create these problems in society. And so when I realized that, I was like, wow, okay, I guess the niqab itself isn't the problem. It's simply people's hate towards, mm-hmm. you know, niqab. And um, this all kind of came to head in 
one incident at this time in my life, I was still kind of figuring out who I was culturally being a Mexican American who, you know, never really felt accepted in American society in the area where I lived. And then I fought really hard to be accepted to this program to go abroad to Japan representing the United States. And it was hard to do as a Muslim. And there was one woman who really fought for me to go on this program. And she because they questioned me, they questioned, they were like, well, what if you get to Japan and they, the high school says that you have to take off your hijab for the uniform and what would you do? And the, they actually had to ask me to leave the room. And this woman literally yelled at everyone in the room and was like, if she was a Catholic and she was wearing a cross, would you be questioning her about that? Like, mm -hmm. you know, this is America, like the, this is freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Like don't question her religion and her, you know, we can't deny her the opportunity to go on this trip because of her hijab, because of the fact that she's a Muslim, like that would be un-American. And this yeah. woman really fought for me to go. And I mean, Alhamdulillah, I'm really, really blessed that woman. I'm, I'm so happy that I was able to go on this trip. And it really helped me kind of figure out who I was in this world. And um, there was an incident when I was in Japan where this is the only time in my life that I have took off the hijab since I put it on. Mm -hmm. I remember that um, there was a, a Christmas party that we were forced to attend. They were like, well, all the, the representatives have to go to this Christmas party. A bunch of other exchange students from other districts are all going to be there. And at the time, even though the face mask had changed the way that I was thinking about hijab and niqab, I still was getting over it. And so I was like, no, you know what? I think I better not go in my hijab because I know I'm going to get I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some negativity from somebody because there's going to be other American exchange students there. And I'm really, really kind of scared, you know, so I chickened out and it was the first time in like a year and a half since I had put on the hijab that I took off the hijab and I went to the party without it, you know, but I went without it and I thought, okay, I'm just going to wear, you know, regular nice clothing that's appropriate for this party and then I'm not going to have any problems. And I get to the party and we, you know, I sit at the table with the other American students and with this white girl who, you know, white American representative looked at me and just looked at me up and down and was like, where are you from? And I'm like, well, I'm here, you know, representing uh, Northern California district. Um, I believe 5160 was the district I was representing. And, mm -hmm. and she was just like, well, where are you, where are you from? And I was like, well, I'm, you know, American, obviously from California, yeah, from yeah. this district that I'm representing. And she just questioned me up and down and I could, and I'm used to this kind of uh, treatment. So I told her, I was, I tried to make a joke and lighten the mood. I was like, well, you know, my parents are, are Mexican. My family is Mexican. So, you know, I, um, I said, we originally, I was born in San Diego, which is so close to Mexico. I guess you could say it's practically Mexico anyway, yeah. you know, as so many Hispanics there. And she just looked at me and she was like, yeah, well, I hear that all the time that, you know, we, that there's so many Hispanics and Mexicans in these places, they speak Spanish so often that we should just consider it Mexico. But, you know, if you guys really wanted to keep that land, you should have fought harder. Mm. And she was literally wow. just got, and yeah, and I was just like, oh my God. And I felt, so, I was so angry and so mm. just like, yeah, hurt. And I thought to myself, wow, wow, wow. I took off the hijab, here I am, no hijab. And yet there's still issues. And for me, that moment totally solidified it. I was like, okay, I, I took off the hijab and it didn't solve anything because once again, this just drives home the point that my hijab or the niqab or any type of clothing is not the problem. It's your ignorance and your bias and your prejudice. That's the problem. And I can't change that. Like, it's not my responsibility to make you less racist. And then after that point in time, I can say, alhamdulillah, I haven't removed the hijab ever since then. Um, and that gave that incident actually like kind of was one of the factors that gave me the strength to 
put on the niqab and I because I after I'd had so many conversations with my Japanese friends some of them who told me like yeah I wear face mask even when it's not six you know cold season just because it makes me more comfortable and I like covering my face and I realized you know what I like covering my face too it is actually really comfortable and I don't like people looking at my face I think it's more private that way and the more that I looked into Islam of course I realized you know I still don't think it's mandatory I still think that you know the basic uh, hijab everything but hands and face I think that that is a uh, fad but I think the niqab is extra but I think it's definitely recommended and I think that there is enough evidence in the hadith to say that it is part of Islam even if it's not you know an obligation I think it definitely is something that's recommended so after kind of learning more about that and realizing no this is not just a cultural thing like there there is a religious purpose for it um and it also is something that I'm more comfortable with I there was another incident but I won't go into it but um basically it was that Christmas party and then this incident that I had with this guy on the street that's a whole nother st story that though after these two incidents I was completely like okay that's it I'm gonna dress the way that I want and everybody else can just they can just address their own internal biases because that's not my problem if I'm doing right by you know Allah and I'm doing right by society and I'm not hurting anyone and I'm not um being you know extremist in any way then there's no reason that I shouldn't be able to dress the way that I want and be part of society you know so ever since I was 17 at the time um when I came back from Japan I was wearing basically kind of face masks around all the time until I was able to get a hold of niqabs and then mm. I've, I've just covered my face ever since. So how did your father feel about that then? Uh, yeah he got over it. <laughs> I mean they they got over it. It's um I at first even when I became Muslim it was difficult mm. and um, because it was a lot of a lot of ignorance the same ignorance that I had within my own self that all I knew about Islam was Osama bin Laden and 9-11 yeah. and I had to educate myself on you know what is Islam and I just went through, you know, educating my parents on, okay, these are things that are cultural, these are things that are historical or political events that have happened, and this is their religion, and these are, they're separate, you know, and I think the more that I educated my family, the more they came to, and um, I remember one day my father, and we're not particularly close, we don't talk anymore, but at the time, um, I remember the thing that made him change his mind, which still cracks me up to this day, like, he was all upset with me for, you know, becoming a Muslim, for addressing the way I was, and he, like, wasn't really happy about it, and then he came one day and was like, you know, I decided that it's okay because um, I'm a big, big fan of Cat Stevens and, you know, he converted to Islam and I also wow. like Muhammad Ali, you know, he's one of the best boxers and he converted to Islam. So I guess it's oh, not wow. that bad. And I was like, seriously, like you won't take your own daughter's word, but some famous dude that you don't even know converted to Islam. And so, you know, it's okay because he did it. <laughs> but I mean, I was like, whatever, whatever, whatever floats your boat, whatever makes you less, you know less unhappy about it I'll take that and uh, and now I think you know 12 years on I've been Muslim for you know alhamdulillah 12 or 13 years now almost and um they're totally fine with it now they're some of my biggest supporters alhamdulillah mashallah I just it just it's just quite funny how parents can be sometimes when it comes to these things you know subhanallah <laughs> like in my yeah. experience like um like when I started wearing the niqab my dad was like oh so what you're covering your face now but I remember like even before I was wearing the niqab he used to always say oh you're covering your face and I wasn't I was just wearing hijab you know and then like yeah. so he like complains that why am I covering myself up because you know you know you, you should show how beautiful you are and this and that and then in the same breath he'll turn around and criticize somebody else because they're not wearing enough clothes 
Oh, that's funny. Which one do you want then? You know, because I used to dress like that and you didn't like it. And now I'm covering and it's just like, oh, you know, why are you you covering up like that? You know, subhanAllah. (laughs) So it's like, it's like, do you know what? I think sometimes with parents, like they can see that you've made improvements in your life and they know that you're better. But at the same time, by admitting it directly like that, it would be like them proving themselves that they was wrong about something. So they don't naturally want to kind of just say, yeah, this is like, you know, you know, I was wrong about this. Like, so they, it's like they find it hard to just say, well, actually, you know, I had a wrong opinion and just kind of admit it. So they, they kind of bring it from like another side by trying like so they can show their approval from another way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. actually I think that's that's such a good point because when I first started wearing hijab and of course like I said it wasn't really you know correct hijab at the time that I was trying and I was you know slowly by little by little modifying my clothing my mom um I remember we were walking once in the mall and we saw and because this is a really small area really small town there were no Muslims whatsoever like probably like 30 of them in the whole town and it was very rare to see somebody wearing hijab and um we saw a girl once and she was wearing like you know really tight clothes and a lot of makeup and to, you know, not correct hijab at all and be more incorrect than what I was wearing at the time. And I was trying to wear skirts and stuff and trying to wear, you know, trying to get a hold of abayas and trying to get a hold of stuff. And I remember my mom looked at her and she was, I mean, she was like, well, she's wearing makeup. How come you can't wear makeup? Yeah. And I was just like, well, she's not doing it right. And I'm going to be doing things, you know, the right way that I believe it. So you, my whole life, you've told me, oh, if your friends jump off a bridge, would you, you know, and then exactly. now you're telling me, oh, go look yeah. at what someone else is doing. Yeah. And so she, she came around though. And I think years later, it's funny because now we'll see people wearing, you know, tight jeans and hijab. My mom is like, oh, she's, look at that. She's not even wearing dressed correctly. And I'm like, mom, mom, come know. on. <laughs> Like, it's funny as well because I had similar experience with my mum like who was in Ghana and then she um because I because I the thing is I like wearing black I don't always wear black but I like mm-hmm. to wear black and um so we saw like a group of uh, Muslim girls it was like school girls I think and they was all wearing like you know they had the uniform on basically so there's all wearing the same like maybe white headscarves and like you know the rest of their uniform and stuff and she's like oh um those group of Muslims there look like they have a different way of dressing and I was just like yeah <laughs> like what are you trying to say it's like well and she's like yeah well you know because they're not wearing black or anything you know they're just like they've just got like heads white head scarves on I think and I said yeah mom because I think that's their actual school uniform they're school girls and then she was <laughs> like oh yeah okay and I was like you know everybody doesn't dress exactly the same you know like hijab is yeah you know hijab but do you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> like she it was like in her own way like sometimes like these are the these are the her ways which she kind of tries to like hint that oh well these people have been Muslim for x amount of time or well, they're maybe they're, they're you know they're from Muslim families so because they dress like that then oh you know that means it's okay for you to do it as well you know but it's just like it's not mm-hmm. um, it's not it's definitely not what it means <laughs> yeah subhanallah yes. subhanallah so have you done any traveling at all with the niqab on? So yes, um, so like I said, I started wearing it in Japan and then I came back to the United States and um, when I was 18, I moved to Mexico mm-hmm. and um, I kind of, since I was 18 and now I'm 28, so for the past 10 years, I've been moving kind of back and forth between uh, different cities in Mexico and here in the US. And so I've definitely done a lot of traveling, a um, lot of border crossing, but mostly 
I say in the airport, I try and avoid American airports because they are more problematic. So I usually would cross the border from San Diego to Tijuana. And then from Tijuana, I would board my flight to wherever else in Mexico I needed to go. It's much cheaper that way. A lot of people do it. And um, I find it's less problematic. But I'm, I did that so extensively that the people at the Tijuana airport actually kind of know me. So, I mean, I've, um, you know, they're already used to it. They know the drill. It's, um, I've had other people stick up for me, which is actually funny. I remember one time, uh, like somebody didn't know what to do. And one of the other like um, security people turned and was like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's so-and-so she comes here every so often, just go to this room and do this, this, and this, and it's fine. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like somebody knows what to do. So I mean, yeah, I travel enough to where it's not an issue. And then of course, crossing the border. Um, I have a border crossing card too, um, that makes it like faster to go across the border. And um, when you go through that whole process, I, um, you kind of like they certify you as like a low risk traveler and you're allowed to cross in a special lane that's faster and um i of course i you know lift the veil when i when i cross but i've never had um significant issues crossing really um i have had i will go into one story because i think this is like you know one question everyone always has is have you ever had any you know discrimination or any big incident that um you know, with the, regarding the niqab, and I can definitely say there's one time in my memory, and it does involve um, border crossing, where I had a very big issue, and um, alhamdulillah, it was resolved safely, but when I was in the process of getting approved for this card, um, we call it a sentry card, that allows you to cross the border faster, I was doing that when I was um, kind of living in Tijuana, and are going to be living in Tijuana and going to school and work in San Diego and crossing the border. And my son was um, a baby. He was just, he'd just been born and he was like six months old at the time. And it's a long process. So I started that when I was pregnant, I think. And by the time I got to the interview, he was already six months old. Yeah. Um, so I, we applied me and my mom and my son, all the three of us lived together. And um, I got approved. My mom got approved first and she went in for her interview interview and it was all good she got approved um then I got approved and I went in for my interview and it was actually surprisingly all good um the man who I got for my interview was super nice he was also a Mexican and he you know just was very respectful and when time came for me to like take the picture he actually said himself he was like oh no hold on a minute and he went and got um one of the female workers and I went with border patrol um workers and I was like oh great thank you and I, I didn't even request that and I was like well thank you so much I really appreciate that so she took the picture of me and then they switched places again and he continued with the interview and I was so flabbergasted that like oh you know mashallah that was so nice I didn't even request it because I mean I, I usually don't request um to have a female if yeah. there's something like crossing the border and you're at like a checkpoint like it's so much of a hassle like mm. it's for me it's not that big of a deal just to to you know show my face for identification you know for for one second and I, I usually don't have people be disrespectful so I'm okay with that you know I know some other sisters might not be comfortable with that that's totally up to them but for me I don't request um a female mm -hmm. unless it's some sort of like medical appointment or something where they're going to be seeing more of me then I would prefer to have a female but I usually am totally fine if it's a male border patrol officer or police officer or whatever you know um so I yeah I got mine approved and it was all great and I was like oh that was super easy and then my son's um, my son got approved and we had to go in for his interview. Now, mind you, my son was a six month old baby. Okay. A six month old baby. And this dude's job was to certify whether or not he thought that my six month old son was smuggling drugs into the country or not. Okay. Wow. So I go in there <clears throat> for the interview and this time is a white man. And, um, he had a completely different demeanor than, than the Mexican man that I had previously had for my interview. Okay. And he was very, you know, clearly visibly unhappy with, with the way that I was dressed. 
And he told me, he was like, well, you need to take that off for the interview. And I said, okay, you know, just let me know when it's time to take the picture and I will gladly lift it. And he said, no, I mean, you need to take it off for the interview. And I said, well, what are you, what are you saying? Like, I, I have my ID here. I will, of course, I'll lift the veil and I'm going to show you my ID and you can, you know, I said, the picture is going to be of my son. Like, I'm not supposed to be in the picture, but, you know, for you to see my ID, I will, of course, lift the veil, but I'm going to put it back down again. And he was like, no, you're not. You're going to take it off for the whole interview. And I said, no, I'm not. And um, he just gave me so much, you know, he started giving me flack. And I, I said, look, sir, I'm, I'm not being unreasonable in any way. I'm not, I'm not um, like refusing to, uh, how do you say, like identify myself or show my face for the ID, but I do not understand why I wouldn't have to take it off for the entire interview. And where, where is that written as a requirement or, you know, what is, and he said, you need to take it off because I'm telling you to take it off and I'm the one in charge. And if you're not going to do it, then you need to reschedule the interview with somebody else. And I was like, go get your manager, <laughs> go get your manager right now, because this is ridiculous. I'm, yeah. this is not even my interview. This is the interview for my son. I'm only here to answer questions on his behalf because he's a baby and like, come on. I mean, you're, you're being unreasonable here. But um, so he went and got his supervisor and she came over and when she sat down, she was all upset and everything. And I, the moment she sat down, I knew that maybe there was some misunderstanding. So I told her, I said, I just want to clarify, I did not refuse to identify myself, ma'am. I am totally fine with showing him my face. Here's the discrepancy. I would like to lift my veil so he can identify me and then put it back down. And he is requesting that I completely remove an article of clothing. And that is, I think, unacceptable. And I think you understand the difference, right? And she was like, wait, you didn't because she came over and she was like oh lift the veil and I and I didn't she looked at it my you know looked at my face and then I put it back down and she was like there that's it and I was like no 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 no, no. I was gonna do that for him like if he said that yeah, I wasn't exactly, gonna yeah. do that for him. yeah and she was like wait what and I said yes he told me to take it off completely and I was totally okay with doing what I did for you right now I was gonna do that with him anyway I was totally fine but I said I would just you know put it back down afterwards and he was saying that that wasn't okay and she was like are you serious I said yes and so she ended up going back to him and he actually refused to continue the interview with me after that so she the supervisor had to come back and finish the whole interview and she was visibly peeved and you know of course she has other work to do and at the end of it I was like you know, can I get his name and she was like don't even worry about it can the complaint filed this is ridiculous and I cannot believe this happened that I'm so sorry and I was like okay fine you know thanks and so I didn't have to like file a formal complaint because yeah. they already took care of it but um that was the only time that I had somebody really you know refuse to <laughs> refuse to treat me as normal or you know I can say discriminate or discriminate against me because of what I was wearing and I feel like I was being totally reasonable in the circumstance and yeah, they just you know yeah <laughs> just taking things out of proportion really oh yeah yeah really yeah, some people, they really try to push you and see, like, if they can get some kind of negative reaction out of you as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's just, you know, for me, there's just something so, I can't even find the word, but so power hungry. So, you know, that I demand you do it, so do it. If yeah. there's no there's no rhyme or reason, but it makes me uncomfortable, so take it off. Like, and I don't think that, you know, people really think as serious as it is, but it's like, that's demanding that somebody remove an article of clothing and expose a part of themselves that they consider private to make you comfortable. Like, could you imagine if somebody, yeah, course, yeah. if some officer, yeah, try and you know, hold a gun to your head and said, take your shirt off because mm -hmm. I want to see like, that's, you know, that would be sexual assault on another level, but people don't realize how serious that, you know, I'm sure he didn't think of it that way, but that's really how it felt, you know? Mm, SubhanAllah. Yeah. Like it's completely disrespectful. So um, would you say that, um, 
you know, compared to like sisters who wear the hijab, um, do you think that sisters who wear the niqab get treated differently? And that's from the perspective of Muslims and also non-Muslims in your experience. Um, yes, absolutely. I would say yes, because I think, and even when I first started um, wearing just even hijab and trying to wear more correct hijab and wearing, you know, abayas and, and other things, even then, so I had, I, I started at that time to meet other Muslim people because, you know, when I converted to Islam, I didn't know any other Muslim people. I just, you know, did everything by myself and I found all my information on the internet. And when I actually started looking, seeking out Muslim communities and finding other Muslim people, I had some people who, you know, were wearing the tight jeans and the makeup and the headscarf, look at, look at me up and down and say, we don't even dress like this in my country, you know, and, um, you know, try and make me feel like, you know, I was being some sort of extremist or that I wasn't following correctly, or I was trying to, um, how do you say, like, um, like make my, like, like, like be a wannabe Arab or something, you know, dress in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And, um, it wasn't for that reasons, you know, that I was trying to dress more correctly. And I think it's funny that you mentioned that you like to wear black. Um, that's actually one thing that when I started wearing the full and I told my mom, like, I'm going to wear this all the time. She actually specifically requested me to not wear all black. Yeah. Um, and that was difficult because I used to wear black all the time. Like even before mm. I, before I became Muslim, people would kind of consider me not exactly like goth, but kind of one of those girls who always wears black, you know, yeah. it was, it's my favorite color. And I've always worn black a lot. So I promised my mom when I started wearing niqab that I would never wear all black, that if I wear black, I would mix it with other colors. And to this day, I can say, alhamdulillah, I have kept my promise to my mother and I have never for a single day worn all black everything. If I wear an all black abaya, then I'm always wearing some color hijab with it, you yeah. know, and if I um if I wear, you know, a black hijab, then the abaya has some sort of the design on it or something, yeah, yeah. you know, I never wear all black. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. So um, on that note, would you say that you feel the, the niqab is a barrier? And if so, in which sense? Um, so I don't want to say that it is a barrier, but I definitely can't say that it isn't a barrier. I mean, I can say um, definitely 100% there are jobs that I have been turned down um, from because of the way I dress. I know that. Like, that's fact. And in Mexico, of course, it was much more uh, apparent because I, I don't think that the protect the legal protection in Mexico is as strong as it is in the United States. So uh, I was an English teacher for most of the time that I was in Mexico. And there were several times that I went in to a job interview and people would just outright be like, oh, your qualifications are perfect. Your English is great. We're going to hire you, but you got to take that off. And we're not going to hire you if you wear that. And um, they would just outright say that, you know, um, and so in that sense, there were times that I definitely, um, because it, it took me a long time to get my first job there and I kind of ran out of money and I kind of, you know, went through a difficult time there and had to ask for help from family. And, you know, everybody was telling me, you know, like you are not going to be employable. Like nobody in Mexico is going to hire you dressed like that. And I said, you know, I don't, I will find a way out. There will be somebody, there are how many, you know, dozens of English institutes in this town. One of them is going to hire me because I am confident in my ability to teach English. I am, a, you know, a good English teacher and English is my first language. And this is something that I'm passionate about. And, you know, Allah is going to help me. And I, alhamdulillah, I didn't take it off. And I ended up finding a job that ended up being better paying than all those other little, other smaller yeah. jobs that turned me down. So um, that, you know, that, um, that worked yeah. out, but it, it was difficult and it was it was a barrier to finding a job in that sense, you know, and I know lots of sisters, lots of Mexican sisters who have had to remove the hijab or, or the niqab or the hijab even to find employment in Mexico because there is so much discrimination and there isn't that legal protection that we have here in the United States. But I'm also going to mention 
that here in the United States, even though, of course, I've never had anybody outright say, we're not going to hire you because you're Muslim, or we're not going to hire you because you're dressed like that. Even if they don't say that, <laughs> it's I, I definitely feel that there are times that I have walked into an interview, you know, after having had you know, several prior interviews with the same company, like when I was looking for, you know, a job as an accountant, um, I went through lots of different interviews, lots, and there were people who were so excited to meet me and, oh, best qualifications, your GPA is practically perfect, you know, you, it's, everything looks great on paper, mm. and even the first few people in the interview, you know, were, were fine with me, and then somebody walked in, you know, the final manager or whatever, and the way that they looked at me, I could absolutely tell if I don't get this job, it's, it's this person's decision. And uh, I can tell the way that they're looking at me. And of course, nobody, you know, it's the United States. I could sue them to death if, if they had ever said, we're not going to hire you because of you're Muslim. Yeah. So nobody ever says that, but you, as a Muslim woman, I think you feel it, you know, uh-huh. when somebody is giving you that look, you know, and um, yeah, there have been some yeah jobs that I probably didn't get because of the way that I dress. But at the end of the day, I only needed one person to, you know, accept me. And alhamdulillah, they did. I was able to find an internship and after that, a full-time job, even with, you know, with two different places. And, um, you know, alhamdulillah, here I am. I graduated from uh, college in May with a bachelor's degree in accountancy. And I'm an accountant now. And I wear, I wore the full niqab throughout all my interviews and everything. And um, since I started, I started in June, we started in the middle of coronavirus, I've actually been online anyway, and my boss just gave me permission to stay an online employee for, you know, until further notice, basically. Um, so, alhamdulillah, it looks like I'll be working from home, but, uh, and I won't really have to get dressed to go to work, but um, f- throughout my internship, and I did the internship with a government agency too, and mm-hmm. they hired me with the full niqab, and I wore the niqab at work, and it was not an issue. And, um, and before that, I even worked, I worked, uh, before I went to college, I worked at like uh, Target, which is like you know, a re- retail store. And then I also worked at Vons, which is also just like a grocery store. And I wore the full niqab both of those times and with the uniform too. And with the Target, we had to wear red and khaki. And I literally just wore a khaki skirt with a red, like jilbab top and a khaki niqab. And <laughs> that was what I wore. So, I mean, I have always been able to modify um, you know, niqab is not, it's, I always say like niqab is, and hijab too, they're dress codes, they're not uniforms, yeah, it's not absolutely. like you have to wear this full black abaya with the black niqab, and you can, yeah. and that's great, I think it's beautiful, I absolutely think it is, and if you feel comfortable like that, more power to you, but there is no reason that you shouldn't be able to hijabify or niqabify any type of uniform for work, really. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, mashallah, that's amazing, that's really So amazing. I think the barriers are more so kind of what I said in the beginning, the barriers are other people's prejudices towards Definitely, you, yeah. but not necessarily the barriers, you know, um, within yourself or within the limitations yeah, of what yeah, you can, what jobs you can and can't wear the niqab with, yeah. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. So have you met any sisters who have really wanted to wear the niqab? But you mentioned that you know some sisters who've had to take it off. Do you, have you met any sisters who um, they've wanted to wear it, but because of family members or, you know, kind of outside pressures, they they just haven't had the confidence to put it on? Or they oh, dozens, it? dozens, like the list doesn't end, especially especially among my fellow Mexican revert sisters. Mm. I know so many sisters all the time that I would meet that would say, oh my God, I wish I had your courage. Like, I wish that I could, you know, wear that. But, and I said, well, why don't you? You can. Like whenever, whenever anyone tells me, I wish I could dress like you do, I say, well, why don't you? You can. And they say, oh no, 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 I can't. And, you know, it's, I can't because my family or, you know, my job or this isn't this. And, and some of those barriers are, you know, external barriers that absolutely are a thing like the work. And some of those barriers are internal barriers yeah. that they have, that they just, you know, don't find the strength to stand up to their families and, um, or things like that. But I feel like 
coronavirus has been a blessing in disguise to the Nikabis of the world. Just, yeah. <laughs> I think after this, it's going to be so much easier for women to, you know, cover their faces in one way or another and work, you know? Inshallah, inshallah, I hope so. Mm-hmm. So have you, have you met any sisters who've been forced into wearing it at all? No, not a single one. I, I don't. <laughs> and it might be because, you know, my network is mostly revert yeah. sisters and I really don't know any sisters that have been born kind of Muslim in mm. there, you know, or from Muslim yeah. countries or. Yeah. So maybe maybe just because of my friend group is a little bit different, but I don't know a single person that wears hijab or niqab and doesn't want to dress that way. So sister, I just want to ask you some more questions about like, well, just about the Mexican community. You mentioned that, you know, quite a lot of Mexican revert sisters. So is there um, like, would you say that Islam is becoming very popular among the Mexican um, community? Well, actually, according to statistics, yeah, Latinos are the biggest group, like the biggest group of uh, converts to Islam in recent years. The fastest growing Muslim population in the United States States is made up of Latinos. Yeah. In Mexico, too, I can say so I moved to Mexico in 2011, I believe. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was like 20 people praying in this little prayer room, prayer room, um, that was, you know, we were just renting out for one day a week. And now I think that there are two different full on masjids in, in the town where I yeah was in. That's beautiful. That's amazing. So what about like things like halal food? Is that becoming more accessible now? Yeah, it's, it's uh, what comes with that, you know, with the community growing is that um, it's easier to find things like the clothing and the food and the, um, you know, the community. And yeah, from what I hear, I, I think there are a few brothers in the city who are uh, selling some halal meat. And um, yeah. Mashallah, that's amazing. Alhamdulillah. Great. Mashallah. So, um, sister, um, what would you advise sisters who want to wear the niqab but they don't have the confidence? What kind of advice would you give them? Oof, man, that's that's kind of a tough one because I'm I'm not much one for giving other people advice other than, you know, I don't I'm not one of those people that says do whatever you want to do and forget everybody else because you know as Muslims that's not how we should think you know we should say you know do what Allah wants you to do right so um for me and I definitely yeah I think there's kind of this toxic individuality that permeates Western society. And I think there are times when we need to take into consideration, you know, what is good for society at large, Mm -hmm. but I absolutely can say both before and after COVID, but, you know, even especially before, I really don't think that there are any negative societal consequences of people wearing the niqab. Like I don't see, I think that there is, I have seen, unfortunately, some sisters that fall into, and this is totally unrelated to niqab, but I see some sisters who revert to Islam and then are treated so poorly by their families and by society that they end up falling into kind of extremism as a way to kind of feel like they belong, you know? And um, I do know some sisters who, you know, not really anymore, but I've, I've seen sisters who just got way too into one certain aspect of Islam or just took things really too far and it completely took them out of society. And for me, that's the definition of extremism. Like when, when your actions make it impossible for you to be part of civilized society yeah. and you start, you know, oh, I can't even say hi to that person because they're a non-Muslim or I don't want to sit next to this person. Or, I can't go to this place because there's going to be, you know, kufar there, you yeah. know, that kind of attitude. It, it's really sad, but I see it sometimes. And my advice would be as long as you are not falling into those behaviors, as long as you are being a regular part of 
society. And that doesn't mean that you have to be out drinking and go into bars. Like, obviously, you know, don't yeah, fall into haram, but yeah. you can be part of, there is a part of society, you know, secular society that is completely normal for you to be a part of. And if you can be a part of society in a, in a healthy way and still, you know, comply with the requirements of our religion and dress the way that you want, whether you want to go further and take, you know, wear the niqab or whether you don't and you just want to wear hijab, but you can't find the strength. Um, I think as long as you are not falling into that kind of extremism, then you shouldn't be worried about, you know, you're being a normal part of society, then you shouldn't be worried about what other people are thinking. You know, that is, you should be worried about what is Allah thinking, what is required of me, and am I really happy with this? And is this, you know, what I want to do, or do I want to, you know, go further, or, you know, wear niqab, or those kind of things. I think that it's a balance between all three of those aspects, you know, what's healthy for society, what's healthy for you, what's right by by Allah, you know, it's kind of a balancing act, but I think that sometimes we put too much importance on one of those things, mm-hmm. you know, and um, not that I'm saying you can ever put too much importance on Allah, but you can put too much importance on what society thinks and not enough importance on how happy you are with what you're doing. And um, then other people can follow the opposite and say, I'm going to do what I want and I don't care how it affects society at all, you know, and that can also be a problem if you are, you know, falling into some sort of extremist behavior. I think that there's a balancing act between the good of the individual and the good of society. And you should find a healthy, you know, a healthy medium. And I don't think that niqab is extreme at all when done correctly, you know, and I don't think it's, you know, like I said, I've been been working my whole life wearing the niqab and I interacted with the opposite sex when I had to in a halal way, you yeah. know, and there's, there was no, no issue with that. So I think it, it is possible if you're thinking I can't wear niqab because it's going to create a barrier in society or it's going to be, you know, too difficult, you know, whatever. I, I did it. I did it. And it, it, yes, there were some kinks. Yes. I had, while I was working retail, I had people who refused to come down my line, you know, and you know what, if there's other cashiers, if they don't want to come down my line, they can go down another line. Yeah. My boss, you know, they had some complaints about me. They had some people leaving nasty comments. Oh, why you let terrorists work here? Things like that. Of course it's going to happen, but you know what, the more people that dress this way and the more normalized it becomes in society, the less often that's going to happen. So your whole, yeah, your whole, uh, well, I'm not going to do it because there might be negative, you know, repercussions things. It's just, you know, come on, grow a pair. That's my, my piece of advice is come on, <laughs> toughen up a bit. I mean, really, it's as long as you're not hurting society and you are being respectful and having good manners with people and, you know, relating with people in, in, um, in a good way. Because like, I, I've had sisters who didn't even wear niqab. I had sisters who wear hijab and like, um, uh, if a man said good morning to them, you know, they would turn away and they would, you know, I think that's like rude. It's like, come on, he said good morning. You can say good morning without, you know, it's not haram to say good morning to somebody. Oh, yeah. And I think as long as you're finding a good balance between, you know, being following, following Islam, being part of society and also doing what you want to do, just find the balance there. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with that, subhanAllah. I think that's, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense because um, the Prophet, he did say that there's a hadith that, where he said that the people who, the one who mixes with the people is better than the one who doesn't mix with the people. So I think sometimes we, we get into our minds that in order to be like, you know, attain righteousness or piety, that we need to kind of cut ourselves off from, you know, society but that's not mm-hmm. actually what it is like Allah does test us through other people definitely that's mm-hmm. the case and you know we're going to have a lot of trials because of interacting with others but the reality is like Islam was spread because of the manners and the the way that the Muslims was interacting with people you know that's what that made Islam spread not through anything else just because of the good behavior of the Muslims and when you are with people and you're tested by the way that they treat you 
it's how you respond to them. This is this is the dawa that, you know, it can be the most powerful, you know, not just the dawa of like explaining to them, like, you know, what does the shahada mean and all these kinds of things, but it's your actual mm-hmm. actions and how you behave and how you how you treat them. And at least if they don't accept Islam, they will feel more comfortable with people who are Muslims and they will know what Islam is about and what it stands for. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I, on, on that point, I think that's such a good point that you made that um, sometimes people feel like, you know, it's oh holier or better to you know, be away from society and cut off from society. And that's not, you know, that's not according to Islam. Mm-hmm. I think that that problem is even more severe with women because there are so many women or men who cult- p- impose their cultural restrictions on women and try and make it part of Islam. And I've certainly been told more than once that, you know, oh no, the voice is, is out. You're not supposed to be talking if it's not, oh, you know, it's, it's not something not. necessary. Huh? Yeah, the voice isn't aura. Yeah, I, I know, but I say I've, I've heard people say these kind of things, these yeah, ignorant kind of things that are not part of Islam, and you know that the, oh, the voice is aura, or the woman is supposed to be inside the house, and then she's only supposed to leave for necessity, and these kind of things, and you know a woman shouldn't be working any jobs that they're going to interact with men. I these for me that is extremism because, yeah. like I said, that makes it impossible for you to be part of a normal civilized society. And mm-hmm. so that is extremism and that is not what Islam calls for. And I always like to you know, kind of use myself as the example of, look, I have maintained halal relations with society and the opposite sex ever since I was 17 years old and I have always worked. I have always gone to school. I have always you know, even had friends to an extent with, with my coworkers of the opposite sex or the same sex or of non-Muslims or Muslims or whatever. And as long, that's the whole, for me, that's the whole point of wearing the niqab is so that I can be part of this society, but privatize my sexuality and have that not be part of the conversation in a society that is so increasingly obsessed with beauty standards and just sexualizes everything this is for me and I always say I feel like my motivations for wearing the niqab are much more um, personal than they are religious because I don't think it's a religious requirement I I think it's you know mustaha but not fard but I think that for me personally I just the niqab is just my way of opting out of society's beauty standards and it's something that I really love and it's never been an impediment for you know doing any type of job but these men who have this opinion and a few women too mostly men that you know women shouldn't be out working because you're going to interact with the opposite sex I'm like that's the whole point of dressing this way is so that we can interact with the opposite sex in a halal way yes I mean that's how I see it you know yeah, subhanAllah. I, I, like, on that note as well, I think that sometimes people, they give this kind of um, extremely unrealistic expectations of what mm-hmm. society is and even like the what is considered normal, because what is normal these days? I mean, I've been a single parent for like 12 years. So if I don't mm-hmm. work, then how will my children eat? You know what I mean? Yes. Like mm-hmm. people, people don't think like that. So it's just like you can't you don't, can't put everybody in the same box. Like everybody's got that husband that's going to be working for them and providing for them and doing all these kind of things. And so that the mm-hmm. woman can be at home looking after the children. The, the, the reality is Muslims don't live like that now. A lot of Muslims do not live like that. So mm-hmm. then in, in order for the woman to become um, does that mean that if the woman needs to go out and wear the um, go and work that she shouldn't wear her niqab or proper hijab no that's not the case and unfortunately because mm-hmm. of these perceptions sisters who do need to go out and work they think that they shouldn't cover them because they're thinking that the two can't be done at the same time you know so this yeah. is this is the problem with these kinds of um kind of views and opinions and it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's not a one size fits all, you know, you can yeah. still obviously wear your niqab, cover yourself, you know, wear correct hijab. 
but yeah sometimes you're going to need to interact with society that's that's the norm that is the norm mm -hmm. and people people I think who don't have people who grow up not having that kind of lifestyle where they know how to behave with the opposite gender because they're so they've been brought up in such a segregated fashion when they do get exposed to things like that they it's like they can't even they don't even know what to do with themselves sometimes it affects them very negatively because it's like they go crazy they don't even know how to behave exactly i'm oh my gosh you took the words right out of my mouth and that's definitely one yes i think every, every culture every culture has you know negative and positive things about it and i think that's why you know the quran says you know time and time again just take the good leave the bad this is what we're yeah. supposed to be doing we're supposed to be evaluating our family's culture and our country's culture and i think that a lot of people from you know quote unquote muslim majority countries um have that that cultural aspect mm -hmm. of you know an unhealthy segregation between men and women in society and then when they come to a place that isn't segregated they don't exactly and they end up I hate to say it, but it's like you know you really give Islam a bad name they make you know all Muslims look bad when they're yeah. you know out here on Instagram I, I get all the time at it you probably didn't notice but like the last two posts that I've posted I've had at least one guy on each post who got all upset with me you know stuck feet a lot you're showing your eyes and your beauty and you know why are you think it's permissible wow. to post a video on Islam and or, you know on Instagram and I'm just like Allah. you people are giving Islam a bad name like mm. th this is your cultural BS that you are imposing on the religion and I am dressed in a completely appropriate way and yet you're sitting here trying to make me feel bad for existing in this world and I don't all I feel is embarrassment that you guys consider yourselves Muslim. You know, that that's all I feel is embarrassment that people are going to look at you guys and project that onto all of Islam. And it's very, very sad. Yeah. And it's, I just, it's like, it's fun. I spoke to a sister recently and she said one of the things that, you know, one of the, one of the downsides of wearing niqab that she, she sees is that when you wear the niqab, it's like people don't give you a break. Like Muslims would not give you a break. They don't. They expect you to be perfect. It's like you can't make any mistakes. You can't. You can't do like certain things. They kind of put these perceptions on you. Like you must be some angel or something like that. You know. Mm. So it's like upon that, that for somebody to comment, oh, why are you showing your eyes? I mean, can you imagine? Like when everybody else is just out there. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but, I know. I'm like seriously. There's the sister who's like, oh, because her eyes are visible. Like. I don't, I don't understand like what are you trying to achieve by that do you see what I mean mm -hmm. this, this is why and this is again so many sisters that you know that I've seen across different Muslim communities like from Muslim countries they have this idea in their mind that in order for them to put on a hijab even they must reach a certain level of righteousness before mm -hmm, they should mm -hmm. do that when that is not that's not how it is the hijab is obligatory so you're supposed to wear it whether you mm -hmm, should wear it exactly. or not as long as you say you're muslim you should be wearing the hijab but because of these kind of ideas that people are propagating that oh you know when you dress this way then that means that you must be 100 percent perfect you know you have to mm -hmm. know better you have and definitely like when we wear the hijab when we wear the niqab we are trying to improve ourselves but it doesn't mean we're not going to make any mistakes it doesn't mean we're going to do everything 100 percent correctly that's not what mm -hmm. it means you know but this is the problem like you, you get people pushing these ideas and then other sisters they think well oh no I can't wear that because I'm not good enough yet you know and then you That's and then people get sad. stuck you know it becomes this kind of cycle you know subhanallah and not yeah. only that but then we have this perception that um you know in the Muslim community I don't know how it is with um you know where you are but at least here um, where I'm living in the UK it's often um, the idea is projected that sisters who wear the niqab are stuck up and they they think they're better than the sisters who aren't wearing it mm -hmm. so we yeah I think that uh, there's kind oh. of this perception that like the niqab is for the Salafi sisters who are really Basically, kind of yeah. 
yeah mm-hmm. they're super super like the super muslim women mm-hmm. about that. like yeah everything is like you know so righteous and you know mm-hmm. and you know may Allah guide us all we're trying to improve every day that's how our religion is we're never, you know Islam is that's one of the beautiful things about Islam mm-hmm. it's a, a religion where there's no kind of there's no ceiling to yeah. when it comes to like improving yourself and seeking knowledge and trying oh, to yeah. always be that better version of yourself like you can never say oh well I've done enough now this is it no it doesn't matter what age you get to you're still gonna you still be able to learn something you should be able to improve yourself so this is what I love about the dean so it's like we're always always continually striving to improve ourselves and improve and you know re- renew our intentions daily as well that's so, right yeah subhanallah yeah actually um one last thing that I think is actually kind of funny that I'll mention is that um when you mentioned you know the hijab is obligatory and you know if you're Muslim you should be wearing it even if you're not you know you're not perfect you're still in the process it's still something you should be wearing um I definitely I felt that way when I when I first uh, became Muslim so I just started trying to wear it right away but you know I was wearing totally incorrect hijab but I was trying mm-hmm. um but I think the funny thing is that I you know like I said I didn't know any other Muslims at the time so uh it was really hard for me to learn the basic things, even the basic pillars and everything. I was learning everything from the internet, but um, I was actually wearing the hijab. And I think even the full niqab, even because I, I started wearing niqab, what, like 17? So yeah. yeah, I think I was I was dressing kind of, you know, in a visibly kind of more correct way before I even learned how to pray correctly, That's which is, is funny because I, you know, nobody ever taught me and I didn't know any other Muslims. And I was like, hey, I know I'm supposed to be doing these prayers, but I've looked up how to do it. And then there's so many, this person says, this is the correct way. This person says, this is the correct way. And I don't know, because, you know, I don't have anything to go off of. And, you know, the Quran doesn't give you guidance on how to pray. It just gives you, you know, that these prayers are there. We need the Hadith for how to pray. And it took me so long to get, like, for me, the prayer has always been the hardest pillar of Islam. And it's something that I think in the last few years, I've actually been able to kind of correct my, and still not perfect, but it's definitely much, much better than it was before. I'm actually doing five prayers a day, mostly at the correct times, you know, and even then it's been such a big process. But if I had waited to wear hijab and niqab until I was, you know, praying correctly 100% of the time, then I think I still wouldn't be wearing it, you know? So it's just like, that's, that's my jihad. That's something that I work with. I did my first Ramadan, you know, correctly. I, I fasting has been easy, you know, zakat has been easy, the hijab, you know, the shahada, all those other things were easy for me. But I was probably doing all of those things way before I was even trying to like pray because I was embarrassed of like, how do I even do this? Like I get on the floor and then do what? Like I don't I don't know. Like yeah, <laughs> never seen anybody that. do it. So it it just felt weird. And now it's supernatural and alhamdulillah I've been praying, you know, five times a day for years. But it was definitely a process. And I would definitely advise sisters who are saying, you know, oh I'm gonna wait until I'm praying five times a day to wear the hijab. Don't wait. Don't don't wait. You know, there is no order that you have to do things like first you gotta do this, this, this and this and then hijab is a later step. Like, it's not like that. It's all can be done in the order that you get to it, you know, okay. so just do That's it. What you do what you can do. That's it. Exactly. And have, the, have the intentions to, that you're going to do the rest as well. SubhanAllah. Mm-hmm. SubhanAllah. So sister, um, finally, to close the interview, I'll ask you the last question, which is what does the niqab mean to you? Oof. I want to say that for me, the niqab means freedom. It It really does. It is freedom of expression and freedom of religion and just freedom in general it's liberating it's freedom from um the beauty standards that we're that are imposed upon us in this society it's freedom from being objectified um you know as a sexual object when i don't want to present myself that way i um i would say it means freedom to me in short 
Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. sister, for joining us today. And all kind of, all kind of guys. I really, really appreciate it. I've loved listening to your story. Alhamdulillah. It's very inspirational. Oh, and I'm sure so many sisters are going to benefit, inshallah. Inshallah. Thank you so much. It's good work that you're doing. And um, inshallah, I'll, you know, start making, you know, that a longer story about my revert story. And if anybody else has more questions for me, inshallah, I'll answer those too. Just, um, just send them on over to me. And thank you so much. No problem, sister. Okay, take care. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.